0: There are those who believe in my innocence, and there are those who believe in my guilt. There's no in-between. And if I'm guilty, it means that I am the ultimate figure to fear because I'm not the obvious one. But on the other hand, if I'm innocent, it means that everyone's vulnerable, and that's everyone's nightmare. Either I'm a psychopath in sheep's clothing, Or I am you. If you were as thoughtful as I was with these words that Amanda Knox said in a popular Netflix documentary about her, you should pay attention to today's case. This is one of the most complicated cases I have seen. There were four suspects involved and three of them changed their testimony as the investigations progressed. The information about the case was everywhere, and the media had an outsized influence on it. Although the fatal victim was Meredith Carker, the case presents several problems in relation to the main suspect, Amanda Knox. Hello, everyone. I hope you are doing all right. I'm Fabio Carvalho, and this is the Mystery Archive Project. Follow us on the streaming platform you are listening to now, to receive notification whenever a new episode comes out. To see the photos of this case, just follow us on Instagram at mystery underscore archive or on our YouTube channel. Now, let's have a good look in today's case. On November 1st, 2007, in the seat of Perugia, Italy, 21-year-old British student Meredith Ketcher was found dead inside her bathroom and the house she shared with three older students. These girls were Filomena Romanelli and Laura Misetti, both Italian, and Amanda Knox from the United States. On the night of the crime, Filomena and Laura were away traveling, and Amanda was the only resident who ended up being involved in investigations and who ended up becoming the main suspect. Meredith, the victim, was living in Italy on an exchange at the University of Perugia. She was a friendly, popular girl. Amanda Knox was 20 years old, born in Seattle, Washington. She is the daughter of Ida Mellis, a math teacher, and Kurt Knox, vice president of finance at the department store. Coming from a Leoloff family, she enjoyed posting about her travels and parties on her social networks, as well as being known for her outgoing and seductive ways. In September 2007, she moved to Perugia to start an exchange program as well. There, she got a job as a waitress in one of the city's pubs. Just five days before the crime, at an orchestra performance, Amanda met Rafael Stoletito, in the right way, they were attracted to each other. They spent the night together and every other days that followed. So quickly, they began dating. Raffaele was born in Bari, Italy, was 23 years old, studied computer science at the same university, lived alone, and was a very shy guy. In her testimony, Amanda said that on the night of the crime she was at her boy's friend's house and only returned to her house on the following morning to pick up some clothes. When she arrived, she found the front door open, but she didn't think it was strange as it was common for them to leave the door unlocked from time to time. She went to the bathroom and saw some drops of blood in the sink and on the floor, but she didn't care because she thought that one of the girls had shaved and forgot to clean, so she took a shower, but when she stepped out of her bath, she noticed a bigger blood stand on the carpet, and an addiction, feces in the toilet. Despite occasional fights over the organization of the house, hygiene was something with which they had never had a problem, so she looked for Meredith to talk about it, but when she knocked on the bedroom door, no one answered. She then began to feel something strange and decided to call her boyfriend. Upon arriving, Raffaeli noticed that one of the windows was broken and so he decided to go straight in to get Meredith. But he knocked the door and nothing again. Then he called the police. When the police arrived, they asked the couple to wait outside had a quick inspection of the house, and as Meredith still didn't answer, they decided to break down the door. Upon entering, they encountered a scene of terror. The student was on the floor, covered by a duvet that, when removed, it was possible to see her cut throat and clear signs of physical abuse. Outside, the couple was filmed hugging and exchanging caresses without any clear expression of shock and this attracted the attention of the police. The autopsy reported that Meredith had approximately 50 stab wounds. Bruises on the nose, mouth and under the jaw looked as if a hand had been pressed against her face and she had as well other lesions in her genital area. Investigations began and Amanda was interrogated for five days without any lawyer or official translator. On the second day of the investigation, Amanda was called back home with the police to check if there were any knives missing in the kitchen, and, at the time, looking at the drawer, she covered her ears and started screaming. The knife described as being used in the crime was not found, and in the search for any evidence at Rafael's house, a similar knife was identified and sent for analysis. In the end, DNA from Amanda in the handle of the knife was detected, and in the blade, DNA from Meredith. Raffaele, who previously confirmed Amanda's version, saying that they spent the night together, changed his statement on the third day, saying now that Amanda was not at his house during the night and that she arrived there only at 1 a.m. of the second day. While the police were checking Amanda's cell phone, they found a message sent to her boss, Patrick Lumumba, and in the testimonies of those first five days, it says that they had arranged to meet that night. In Patrick's testimony, he said he had just sent a message to say that he had enough stuff on for the evening and that she wouldn't be needed. The prosecutor responsible for the case, Giuliano Minini, was following the investigations from the first day and on the sixth, he ordered that the three, Amanda, Raffaele and Patrici, be arrested. On the 8th, Amanda met her lawyers for the first time. In conversations, she made it clear that her words in the deposition, when she said that she and Patrici had arranged to meet, were not true. She explained that the officers wanted to prove that she left the house that night anyway. Checking her cell phone, the officer found a message she had sent to her boss, Patrick Lumumba, written, ''OK, see you later.'' And even she trying to explain, it was an answer about not going to work that night anymore. This officer insisted it was a kind of confirmation she was about to meet her boss that night. Some fingerprints that had been found on Meredith's pillow were identified on November 19th as being from another person, Rudy Herman Gad. Rudy was born in Ivory Coast and was 21 years old. His father returned to his home country when he was 17 and then he was raised by another family to continue living in Italy. Three years later, for undisclosed reasons, the adoptive family asked him to leave the house. He played basketball on the university team, and in October 2007, when this case took place, at a student meeting, he spoke for the first time with Amanda and Meredith. He was already suspect of some breakings and burglaries in the region, but nobody knew. With this new person identified, the police began a search and found him in Germany. Because of the distance, they conduct an online interrogation over Skype. He said he met Meredith the night before the crime, and the next day he went to her house, but they didn't do anything because they didn't have a condom. In a moment when he was on the toilet, he heard a scream, and he went out to see what was happening. So he saw a guy, He couldn't see his face because it was too dark, and then this guy ran out the front door. When he looked to Meredith, he saw her bleeding. So he got scared and ran. When they hung up this call, Rudy wrote in text, Oh, just one more thing. Amanda has nothing to do with this. She wasn't there. Even so the police issued an international arrest warrant. While the investigations were underway, Amanda, with the support of the lawyers, changed her testimony in relation to Patrick. She said she was forced to recall a non-existent memory that she and her boss were in the house that night. Nothing was found that could confirm Patrick's presence at the crime scene. Plus, the alibi he brought up was convincing. So, at the same day that Rudy was arrested, Patrick was released. The house was isolated, and no other resident had access to it while the forensics carried out their work. On December 17th, Meredith's bra clasp was found. When taken for laboratory analysis, Rafael's DNA was found. The crime became the subject of all newspapers. Since the arrival of the police at the house that fateful day, any update on the case was a matter of a huge interest. Amanda and Rafael's lives were completely swept away by the investigations. They managed to find a photo of Amanda holding a machine gun and one of Rafael dressed as a mummy holding a knife. Without thinking twice, the media printed the images. By a certain point, the search for the main perpetrator was no longer that important. It was the way they sold Amanda's image that made everyone think she was the organizer of the crime. The fact that she had stayed for five days in the house of a young man she had just met fueled the idea that she was vulgar and promiscuous. Speculation about the case took on such proportions that they managed to foster theories that the murder was part of Amanda and Rafael's involvement in drug use, orgies, and even black magic. It was given to Amanda a nickname, Foxy Noxy, alluding to the fox animal, which can easily make smaller animals as its prey. This way, fueling an image of Amanda as cunning and manipulative. On the other hand, in the United States, Amanda won popular support, with many arguing that a case with such high media exposure could not lead to a fair trial. Rudy's lawyer, Walter Biscotti, knew that his presence at the crime scene was indisputable, but he believed that if the three were tried together, Rudy could take the blame for everything and, because that, he requested separate trials. In October 2008, his trial started and he surprised everyone with the new information. Through the window, he saw Amanda's silhouette leaving the house. All three suspects changed the information from the initial testimonies and the case became increasingly complicated. But this new rude information did not help Amanda at all. As for the prosecutor Giuliano, the crime had strong indications of having been committed by a woman, because, according to him, when the killer is a female, they tend to cover the body of the victim if they are also a woman. The moment when Amanda screamed when she was asked if any knife was missing from the drawer was interpreted by him as if she was remembering the sins of the crime she had committed. The fact that it could include the three of them at the same time at the crime scene fueled his theory that Amanda had planned an orgy night at her house and that Meredith would not have agreed, which is why she was abused and killed. The prosecutor didn't give any opening to the possibility that Amanda was innocent. Media speculation and these details made him point her as the main party responsible for the crime. The court's verdict was that Rudy's version did not match the evidence found, and he was found guilty of murder and sexual abuse and sentenced to 30 years in prison. After appealing, he managed to reduce his sentence to 16 years. He was found guilty, convicted, and imprisoned, but in the media, Amanda was still the antagonist. The couple's trial took place on January 16th, 2009, with judge Giancarlo Massey. The indictment was based on the ruling that the three were responsible for Meredith's murder, and eleven months later, on December 4th, the sentence came out. They were convicted of murder and their sentences were 26 years for Amanda and 25 years for Raffaele. The ruling was cause for celebration in Italy, but the couple still had the right to appeal. A year later, now December 2010, the appeal hearing began and Amanda made her declaration of innocence. She said, I'm not what they say, I'm not a promiscuous vamp, I'm not violent, I don't disrespect life, these things do not belong to me and I didn't do what they said I've done. I have not killed, I have not raped, I have not stolen anything. I wasn't there, I was not present to the crime. I used to share my life, especially with Meredith. We had a strong friendship, she used to worry about me when I was going to work, And she was always very kind to me. Meredith was killed and I've always wanted justice for her. I am not escaping from the truth and I never will. I insist the truth come out. I never imagined I would go through the situation, being convicted of a crime I didn't commit. To Meredith's family, I'm sorry she's not here anymore. I can't imagine how you must be feeling, but I have two younger sisters. The idea of their suffering and never being able to see them again terrifies me. Unquote. After her, Raffaele also had his opportunity to speak Quote, I've never hurt anybody, never in my life. The accusation that was pending on me all these years, I always thought that everything was going to be fixed in a very good time. On the contrary, like this didn't happen at all, and I had to stand the situation and to go on day by day as if I was living in a nightmare and as if I couldn't wake up." In the defense, the lawyers argued that the trial suffered from a lot of interference from the media, as the negative coverage of Amanda and Raffaele influenced the police in investigations, since the population wanted to incriminate them, especially Amanda. In the end, the jury approved a review of the knife and bra clasp, but this time to be done by an independent expert, Carola Vinciotti. And here is where things start to change. Over the following months, several facts were discovered, including the following. 1. Amanda's interrogation in the first five days after the crime was determined to be excessive in duration. 2. The coming and going of people at the scene of the crime, without coveralls or protective shoes and gloves rarely being changed, made evidence being questioned. 3. The bra clasp was only found 46 days after the crime, and it was exposed for all the time, being susceptible to contamination. And although Rafael's DNA was identified on it, DNA of two other unknown men were also found at the time, and the police never considered that as part of the investigation. 4. In the conviction report, the word probably was used 39 days times. 5. There was no evidence of any phone calls or text between the couple and Rudy. 6. Amanda's DNA on the knife handle was firm, but Meredith's was very scarce, especially for a weapon that was supposedly used in the crime. Expert Carlo Ventiotti said that when you have a quantity found as small as this, it's likely that it was the result of contamination and not by direct contact. When asking the Forensky police if the knife was analyzed in isolation from any other item, the answer was that they had examined approximately 50 other samples of Meredith at the same time in the same place. And 7. No traces of evidence from Amanda's DNA were found at the crime scene. So. After Amanda and Raffaele had spent four years in prison, on December 3rd, 2011, the decision was finally read. The couple was acquitted. As Amanda wept with joy at this newfound freedom, the local population outside the court was booing the verdict and clamoring for a retrial in the Supreme Court. On March 2013, a year and a half after the conviction was annulled, the court cancelled the annulment and Amanda and Rafaeli were once again declared as guilt until the decision of the Supreme Court came out. But even under the ruling of guilt, they were able to wait for this decision in freedom. And so, two years later, on March 27, 2015, more than seven years after the crime, In a completely closed hearing, the Supreme Court ruled that Amanda and Raffaele were innocent. The irregularities committed in the case led Amanda to file a lawsuit against the Italian Justice Department, and the request was accepted by the European Court of Human Rights in 2016. She reinforces in the process that she was ill-treated during the interrogations and that nothing justifies the precarious situation that she was put under in Italy. In an interview with ABC, she said that during the hearings she heard people calling her the Devil. A funeral for Meredith was held 45 days after her death in 2007, attended by more than 300 people. The diploma she would have received in 2009 for her graduation was awarded posthumously by the University of Leeds. Rudy was given his first 36 hours probationary release in June 2016 after nine years in prison. Today, Raffaele still lives in Italy, runs an Internet company, and says he was the victim of a flawed judicial system that took away his opportunity for a life with dignity. He filed a lawsuit against Italy, asking for damages, of €500,000, which was denied. Amanda came back to the United States. In 2013, she released a memoir, Waiting to be Heard, where she talks about her experience leading up to her exoneration. She graduated in law in 2014 and now advocating on behalf of the wrongfully convicted. And one last curiosity thing is In 2022, Amanda was in Italy, the reason for that isn't known, but she and Raffaele meet each other once again. They posted a photo on their social media, and apparently they moved on with their lives despite all the setbacks that have held them back for years. For some, they are innocent, but many still believe that they managed to escape from a crime they committed. And you, what do you think? Leave your opinion in the comments and I will see you in the next case. Oi, pessoas, tudo bom? Meu nome é Gisele, host do podcast Sobre Investigação, um podcast para quem sabe que a realidade é pior que a ficção. A cada temporada são 20 novos casos nacionais e casos extras. Se você gosta de crimes brasileiros, te espero lá. Beijos